0: Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 28. If you didn't bring a Bible, no problem. We gave you the scripture there in their service guide. We'll also put it up on the screen in a moment. Well, I don't know about you. But in my life and in my family, 2019 has come in hot. There is a lot of stuff happening. It seems like I was looking this week at all the things we're trying to accomplish this year and it feels like a lot, but that's exciting. It's good to know that there's things happening and places to go and things of opportunities and and directions and your life is busy like my life is busy, which is why on behalf of our whole team, we wanna celebrate with all of those of you who participated in PREPARE. What an incredible thing to say, at the start of the year, we'll put God first. We're gonna believe God to do great things. God, we want for you, for our lives, and this year, what you want for us. And really, I gotta say, no, no preacher hyperbole, no exaggeration, it really was the best PREPARE we've ever had, the highest level of participation, a greatest level of engagement. Man, you guys packed this place out for pre-service prayer. It's one thing to come to hear a speaker, it's something different to come and to pray and to help create an atmosphere where others can come in and be encouraged. You prayed for each other. Uh, we, we heard so many great stories of people who, were, who got healing in their physical body or healing in a, a marriage issue or a relationship issue. And so, listen, it's incredible what God can do through a group of people who aren't perfect, who have challenges but who are willing to say, God, we wanna prioritize you and put you first. So we just celebrate with you as you see there on the screen behind me. We had a um, record number of people on campus. We had, like, I think on Wednesday night, something like 2,200 adults. And you know there were nights where we had, there was a night, 4,200 individual devices between. Uh, tablets and phones and laptops, people watching and engaging. Maybe you watched online, we're so glad that you joined us. And so you come to the end of a moment like that and you go, okay, that was awesome, that was incredible. Maybe you're here and and you didn't go to prepare and you're like, what are these people so excited about? Well, well, here's what I know for sure for all of us. We're busy, we're stressed, we could be anxious at times and when you're busy and stressed and anxious, it makes life challenging. But, but I don't know about in your life, in mine, the thing that cuts through the busyness, the thing that cuts through the stress. You know, if you were fasting and you didn't eat and you're going from meeting to meeting and, and, and my intention every day during prepare was, like I'll go home and say hi to the kids and change clothes and get ready. I never made it home one time because there was just too much stuff happening. But, but here's what I, I found to be true. I can handle seasons of busyness and stress when they come with significance. When you go, okay, there's a reason why I'm doing this. Yes, I'm making a sacrifice. Yes, it's requiring a different level of engagement, but here's the reason, and that reason is meaningful. That reason is transformative. That reason has value. What becomes frustrating and difficult is when you feel stressed, and you feel busy, and you're like, why are we even doing this? Be grateful for moments of significance Be grateful for moments when you say, man, I understand why we did all that stuff to experience that. I I feel like here in this place at Milestone, not just because of services, don't hear me? It's not just activity and busyness and services, but when you hear stories of life change, stories of people who are far from God, who came home into a relationship with Jesus, where we talked about, let's do great Christmas services, and then you hear on the first night, on a Wednesday night, 53 people give their life to Christ. That's a significance that's worth busyness and sacrifice and engagement. But, but I would say at this point in life, this is hard. Significance is elusive. I, I think the little supercomputers we all carry around with us make significance harder than it's ever been. Right, because uh, maybe in your life, in my life, this is how it works a lot of times. I'll be waiting, I don't know what your window is, my window depending upon my emotional health If I'm waiting for 20 seconds, I'm like, I don't, what am I waiting? I'm wasting my life, so I pull out my phone. And remember when you just used to look around and think and talk to someone next to you? We don't do that anymore, right? Like in line, if you're waiting for any amount of time, you get on your phone, you're talking to somebody, you get on your phone, you're at a stoplight, you get on your phone, the light turns, you're still on your phone. Um, and, And here's the problem. Life is meant to be moments of significance with moments of ordinary. Those little phones tell us always, always somewhere someone is experiencing significance and then we wonder, is something wrong with me if I don't have something significant happening? And so we're trying to figure out how to cram significance into our lives. I love to eat and I love to go to cool places to eat and and to have those experiences. And it used to be you just went to a place to eat and then you tried to describe it to your friend and you'd be like, you gotta eat there. you gotta try it. Now what we do is when we go to a cool place, we eat something. What do we do we take a picture of it right like you go to a restaurant there's picture it's like paparazzi right like people taking pictures of their food all over the place why do you do that because you're going like ah this is a big moment I want to share it I got to tell my friend I need a visual aid or 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 maybe you go to a cool moment a couple years ago uh, for my daughter's birthday Sarah and I um we got tickets for Adele it was a big deal And um, we had to wait for this window and we got these tickets and immediately these ticket brokers were like, we'll pay four times for what you paid for them to get those tickets. I was like, no, no, I'm not selling. I'm gonna go check out Adele. You're like, Jed, you like Adele? Of course I like Adele. Think about it. She's ginger, I'm ginger. She's British, I'm British. Basically, me, Adele, Ed Sheeran, we're like a threefold chord. and um, coming to an arena near you. I'm just like them except I can't sing. But when I went to see Adele, you know, this big stadium, big arena, the, the thing starts. What's the first thing she says? Hello, <laughs> <Paint it>? no. <laughs> the other service got that. Online, I know you got that, get it? Hello, that's kind of our big song, anyways. Um, the song starts and everybody whips out their phones and they're taking video of their phones and, and I'm like, guys, she's right there. Like, that's her. You 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 can watch her online at home. Like I know you're excited. You want to tell your friends. I saw Adele. Just see her. Like we'll do that other part later. Why why do we do that? I'm I'm teasing. I I have my phone out too. I'll show you the video. Um, (laughs) Why do we do that? We're we're grappling. We're trying to go. "I, I want this to be meaningful. I want this to be significant. And even part of us is going. Somehow, if it's that significant, I want to share it with somebody else. See, because what we're afraid of at the start of the year is having a significant moment, maybe a moment of inspiration. Maybe I'm gonna eat better, I'm gonna exercise better, I'm gonna, you get inspired in a moment, and then all of a sudden, the weeks go by and the months go by, and all of a sudden, the moment has dissipated, and you have nothing left to show for the moment. The thing I love about Jesus, the thing I love about God is, he wants you to have a moment with him But when you have a moment, it's never a moment that just dissipates. It's never a moment that fades away. He wants the significance of that moment to be carried through into your life and have an impact on how you live for the rest of your life, which brings us over to Luke chapter nine in verse 28. I love this little passage of scripture. Just to give you a little context, here's what's happening in the life of the disciples and Jesus. He's been teaching and inspiring them. He sent the 12 out. He's like, you guys have heard enough teaching, I want you to go do it. So they went out and did it, and they came back, and he started to coach, good job over here, change this when you do this, it's a great way to learn. Then then they feed the 5,000, then from the feeding of the 5,000, he takes them to this place that we talked about in our closer series, Caesarea Philippi, he starts telling them about what his church is gonna do in the earth, and how the one thing he promised to build was his church, and no force in the earth could stop his church. It's inspiring, it's incredible, it's this moment. Peter has this insight, what the Bible calls a revelation of who Jesus really is. It's this high water moment in the life of the disciples. And so that's the setup for where we pick up the story here in Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 28, says about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James, kind of the inner circle of his disciples, with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. Jesus would do this regularly, we see this pattern. He would give out, he would serve, he would preach, he would minister, then he would withdraw to be with God. So Jesus is showing us a model here, but he's also inviting his inner circle, he's also inviting these three trusted disciples with him. And if you know the story, the story is, we're gonna talk about it, maybe you saw the header in your Bible, the Mount of Transfiguration. This spring, I had the opportunity with our team to go visit Israel. And this is actually the Mount of Transfiguration. It's an okay picture. Um, if you don't like it, blame the photographer. At least there's not a finger on there. I took that picture. Um, standing on this hill here, this hill is actually in John 8, Jesus is teaching. And it, he, he says some controversial, challenging things, not like the things we like him to say. He's like, you guys are just like your dad. And they're like, yeah, Moses. He's like, no, the devil. And. Um, <laughs> They go, we're gonna throw, they tried to kill him, and that was the, the hill they tried to throw him off. He slipped through the crowd. If you look this way over here, is actually the valley where David uh, faced Goliath. That way over there is Nazareth, so it, it, you get a sense in Israel, all these incredible things are happening together, but it's a real mountain that they really went to pray, and as you could tell, it's a good distance for them to climb up. So this is where the story is actually happening. Look, at, look what it says. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It was a powerful moment. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. They started to talk about his his death on the cross, which was not too far down the road, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they're having a moment here. Kinda, if you will, they're having their own version of prepare. This is their big moment, and Jesus is up there, and that's a pretty good lineup of speakers. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, right? Like, if it's Moses and Elijah, he probably doesn't need a cool bio or a bumper video. Like, you may know him. For hundreds of years, he's been dead, but remember the Red Sea? It was this guy, let's give it up for Moses. There he is, right? Like, you may know him, he's a big deal, he's a prophet. Elijah, here he is. Like, if you're there on the mountain, You're freaking out at this prepare, but I love how honest the Bible is. Look what the passage of scripture says. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Think about that for a second. This is the Gospel of Luke. Luke is writing later, most Bible scholars say it's one of the later Gospels that was written, used Mark as a source. Okay, Luke was a real person. He traveled, he was a ministry partner of Paul. He was a thorough man, he was a very intelligent man, he was a doctor, taking notes. I I like to imagine him sitting around with the disciples, getting the story, taking the story down for posterity, writing the New Testament. He's got them all around, he's like, guys, tell me what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. They could have said a lot of things, But somebody decided, the Holy Spirit decided, it was really important to make sure that you and I knew that when the disciples went up on the mountain to pray, powerful as they were, anointed as they were, when they got there and saw Moses and Elijah, they weren't doing laps and celebrating, they were sleeping. If you've ever slept in church, some of you are doing it now, if you've ever slept in church, you're in good company but isn't it amazing that the Bible doesn't sanitize this little detail? These were normal guys. They're up there, they're on this mountain, do we have to go up the mountain to pray? They get up there, they're asleep, all of a sudden they're like, whoa, we we probably should pay attention, look what it goes on to say. They were sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, now he's into it, master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He went from being asleep to going, hey, let's live up here. And just in case we didn't get it, Luke makes sure with this little parenthesis, he did not know what he was saying, right? Like, in case you're still wondering, Peter's clueless, right? That's what this Bible passage is saying to us. I love that. We, we do the same thing, right? We have a great moment, you come into a service. This service, when's the song gonna be over? Then a song happens, then you kinda experience God's presence. You're like, we should just live at the church building. No, we shouldn't. We almost do. Anyways. Yeah, you're with me now, you're asleep. Okay, look what it goes on to say. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. A funny little interesting detail Luke leaves us with, we'll come back to that in a moment, but I wanna think about what's happening. So much is going on, they're on a mountain to pray, dead guys start showing up, his clothes get flashing white, all these things are happening, then all of a sudden, this cloud, was it a fog? What was it? It rolls in. See, the disciples would've understood. this is a picture, a reference to the Old Testament, actually to the time of Moses where God led the people out of Egypt by a cloud, by a pillar of cloud, the disciples would have known that cloud is a picture of God. God comes and says, this is my son. What a powerful moment. How do you respond to a moment like that? How did they respond? Well, if you read, the story continues to say, they come down the mountain, Jesus begins to say, guys, it's about to get really hard, I'm about to die. They're like, no, don't die. He's like, it has to happen. They start to get challenges. They start to experience difficulty. They're like, who can follow you? Then he says, okay, I sent 12 of you out before. Now I'm sending 72 of you out. And when the 72 go out, guys, you 12, tell them, coach them, help them, serve them, do what they're called to do. But I I, I like this little verse. Look at what the verse immediately following what we just finished. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. So when you have a great moment, a significant moment with God, we want to stay there, we want to live there, sooner or later you have to come down that mountain, and every time you come down that mountain of significance, you're thrust back into ordinary, you're thrust back into challenges, you're thrust back into the routine, and now the challenge becomes can that significant moment last beyond the moment? It's a picture, really, that Jesus is giving us. Jesus would withdraw and retreat. This idea of going to a mountain to be with God, we see it all throughout scripture. 40 times in the Psalms, we hear about, I went to the mountain, I lifted my eyes up to the mountain where my help comes from. I went to worship the Lord on this holy mountain. There's a picture of what the Bible's trying to show us. It's bigger than what we just participated in, although it includes that. I, I was thinking, I've preached this passage many times, I've never thought about this little detail. It's not a coincidence, that of all the people that could have been there with Jesus, it was Moses and Elijah. I started to think about some of the most significant mountain moments in all of scripture happened to Moses and Elijah. Think about Moses, it's the same pattern. He's on the backside of a mountain. God comes to him and he says, Moses, this place that you are is holy ground. He comes in a bush. The bush is burning, but it doesn't burn up. He's like, I can't believe God. This is you, and God says, Moses, I've come to you. Moses is like, don't pick me. He said, I have chosen you. Go get my people and rescue them out of Egypt. Moses is like, I'd much rather stay on the mountain with you. He says, no, go to my People. He goes, gets the people, brings them through. Supernaturally, they're delivered out of Egypt. He comes back, he's got the people. They're mad, they're disgruntled, they're complaining. They're begging to go back to slavery. Moses is like, enough of you, idiots. I'm going back up on the mountain. He goes up on the mountain. God meets with him again, gives him his law, but God says, Moses, you can't live on the mountain. Go back down to the people. Think about Elijah. Elijah maybe you remember from Sunday school, maybe you never had Sunday school. It's kind of a funny story for Sunday school. Most people think of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. What happens? There's a prayer meeting that lasts for hours and hours and hours and the prophets of Baal are there trying to call out to their God and they're yelling and dancing and cutting themselves. And I love Elijah because he's a rascal. I got a little rascal in me. And, And Elijah starts throwing shade. He's like, yell louder, maybe he'll hear you. He goes, maybe your God's in the bathroom, keep yelling. And then he goes, God, show these guys who you are. Fire comes down from heaven, blows up the altar. He probably got lots of Twitter followers that day. Um, He leaves that moment, and he's depressed, comes down the mountain. He's so depressed. He's like, God, my life isn't worth living. Why don't you just kill me now? God begins to strengthen him, encourage him. He comes back up a mountain. He said, wait for my presence. God's presence comes to Elijah on the mountain, and he says, Elijah, come back down from the mountain, find the king. Find Elisha, pour your life, what you've received in me, pour into Elisha. Why am I belaboring this point? Here's the pattern we see. We see this clear pattern in scripture. We set aside time. When we say, God, I'm gonna put you first. I'm gonna withdraw to be with you. I'm busy, my life is hectic, I'm stressed, but I'm gonna put you first. I'm gonna take some time, set it aside, and go be with you as many of you did this week. God is always faithful to meet us in those moments, and when we spend that time with God, He always encourages, always restores, always heals, always strengthens, but it's never just about us. We wanna stay in that moment. We wanna live in that moment, and God said, what I'm doing in you is bigger than you, and it's supposed to go through you to someone else, which brings us back to you and me. What do we do now? If you've had a moment recently with God where you felt him speak to you, encourage you, strengthen you, you should be grateful, you should rejoice. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you should also realize, because here's the thing, we're all prone to do this. When I think back about my life and the mountaintop moments with God, and I've had so many of them, and most of the time, I always mess up on two things, the timing and the execution. Other than that, I get it all figured out, right? Like. God says, I want you to do this, son, and I say, okay, God, I got it, and I go off and run, and I do it not the way he wanted me to do it, and I do it in the time I wasn't supposed to do it. See, sometimes, God may have spoken to you this week. He may have put a dream in your heart, but that doesn't mean you quit your job and you leave everything to go pursue that dream. It doesn't mean that you come live at the church. It could mean that you just take a simple step in the ordinary and go, God, I'm not forgetting that moment, I'm grateful for that moment, but I'm gonna wait on your timing, I'm gonna wait on your wisdom, and at the right time in the right place, you're gonna make it clear exactly what I'm supposed to do next, but it's not just about me. It's so easy to to just reduce it down to, God's supposed to do this, and then I'm supposed to do this, and you lose the whole significance. You end up like the disciples. We we didn't tell anyone because we didn't know what to say. We didn't know what happened. It's okay to just wait and say, I had a moment with God and I'm not totally sure what to do next. If you're in that place, it's a good place. Before I pray for you, I think I can give you three little things that'll help you when you're trying to figure out where do I go, what do I do next? How do we respond to a powerful moment with God? You might be saying, Jed, I, I haven't had one of those. Is that only for pastors? Is that only for a certain few people? Is that, where do you get one of those? And and, and here's what I would say. You you just gotta be willing, you just gotta have a heart that says, God, I'm gonna keep coming, I'm gonna keep choosing to believe that you see me, you know me, and you love me. How do you respond to a powerful moment with God? Well, the first thing is, we start with gratitude. We start with gratitude. Think about the disciples. I showed you the picture of the mountain that they walked up. They didn't know what was gonna happen when they got to that mountain. They they were tired, they were complaining. They were trying to figure it out, they were sleeping. They're like, do we have to go up this mountain? Jesus, it's big, why don't you just go? We'll stay back here and pray. But they went, and when they went, I love this little line. This is a line worth underlining, it's worth remembering, it's worth repeating. Here's the little line that they said. It's good for us to be here. When you get in God's presence, I don't know any stronger way to say this, but but I think we live in a culture and we live in a world where we hear so much, God loves you, he's got a plan for your life, come into this environment, come to the, and we can get into the busyness of it. And, and I don't want us to ever take for granted or ever miss the significance that the creator of the universe, the one who put the stars in their place, the one who holds the beginning and the end, the, the one who is uncreated, unlimited, the one who is eternal, he knows your name and he wants to be with you. And I don't want us to ever lose sight. I don't want us to come to that place where like, I don't know if I like the song and what's up with the lighting and it's a little cold in here because all those things are probably true. But, but that's not really what matters. What matters is God's here in this moment. There, I, I could think of very few things that would, be, that would be more disappointing that someone could say about me than he, he seems to just be going through the motions. He, he seems unimpressed with people's lives being dramatically changed. He seems to take the presence of God for granted. I don't ever wanna get to that place. God's goodness and his purpose and his power and his presence and his peace, more than his ability to fix your situations, the fact that he knows you and loves you and wants to be with you should never be lost on us. And so every one of us should start with this little thing in our heart that says, it's good for us to be here. Yes, I have challenges. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm stressed. Yes, I'm busy. Yes, there's other things I could be doing, but Jesus, you come first and my heart chooses to say to you, it's good for us to be here. If you can start at that place, if you're wondering why significance has been elusive, maybe you need to ask yourself, are you grateful to be in the presence of God? Here's the second thing. We listen to Jesus. I love that little detail. Why did they not say anything? They didn't really know what had happened. They were trying to sort it all out, and I love what God does. He clarifies it, he makes it so simple. He's like, guys, I know what you're thinking. You're freaking out about the wardrobe change. You're freaking out about Moses and Elijah. You're freaking out about houses you feel bad because you were sleeping. The Father's saying, just so we're clear. Yes, it's me. Yes, I'm here. Yes, this is a cloud. None of that matters. What I really want you to focus on, this is my son, listen to him. The purpose of a mountaintop moment is not just to give you plans for your future. It's not just to give you direction. It's not just to give you healing. Those things are byproducts. The purpose of the mountaintop moment is always to hear the voice of the one calling out to you when you come back down the mountain if you heard God speak to you, if you heard his word, if you heard his voice, as we've gathered, as we've fasted, as we've prayed, if you've heard his voice, as you've come to be with him, it's supposed to give you confidence so that when you leave the place where you first heard him and go to your home, go to your workplace, go to your small group, go to your classroom, go to your commute, go to your community, you can still hear that same voice. The confidence you have the confidence I have is not in theological prominence, it's not in mental understanding, it's not in answering every question that may or may not come up. The confidence that you and I have comes from the simple fact that amid all the voices, all the challenges, all the temptations, we can hear his voice. And you know what, it's harder than we realize. We do live in a place where voices come from all different directions. And really, the truth of it is, maybe the most difficult place to weed through the voices is the voices that come from our own heart. See, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but many times God said, Jed, I want you to do this. And my first thought is not, okay, uh, whatever you say, Lord. My first thought is, but God, I can't because of this. I don't know how to do that or what would happen with this or what about them or what about what he said or what about you said or what about this and I get stuck in my own mind and my own ability to filter when he's not asking me to resolve any of those situations. All he wants me to do is listen and say yes, Lord. See, this is so common and I don't know if it's been more difficult than it is today, back to this idea of information. There's this, there's this thing, sociologists call it cognitive bias and it's a fancy way of saying ways that we misunderstand, our ability to miss the point. And one of the cognitive biases that you and I are always surrounded, whether we know it or not, is called the curse of knowledge. And here's the way the curse of knowledge works. You have so much proximity to information or people who have information that you mistakenly think that you have that information, right? If you you have a friend who knows a lot about the Bible, you're friends with that person, you think you know a lot about the Bible. You don't, you just have a friend who does. Whether, and it's true of finances, it's true of maybe how technology works, it's true of any number of things. We all fall prey to this, right? Like you're watching a football game. You don't know uh, cover two from man to man, and you're yelling at the TV, and you're like, Jason Garrett is an idiot, get that guy out of there. You're like, wait a minute, who's Jason Garrett again? And we all do this. Don't worry, there'll be a time after the service. Cowboy fans, we love you, we'll pray for you, lift you up in prayer. Somebody in the church, they'll remain nameless for innocence, They trolled me last week in the email. They said, the Cowboys are playing the Seahawks. Pray hard, Pastor Jed. I thought that was over the line. Um, I'm a Seahawk fan. Here's the point. We all are subject to get lost in in the ability of all the voices in our life to miss the voice that really matters. In fact, it's so common. Sociologists at at Cornell University, there was a study that was done. I found this fascinating. It's called, look at this. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, named after two researchers. Here's what they said, someone with very little knowledge on a subject exudes confidence in their understanding when they're completely wrong. Maybe you know somebody in this group, maybe you are a member of this group, maybe or maybe not from time to time I've been a member. I will tell you this though, there is an individual in my home who is a card carrying member of this organization. One of my children, they shall remain nameless to preserve their reputation. But here's what happens with him. Oh, whoops, we're down to 50-50. I'll say, son, we need to talk about this. Okay, dad, let's talk about it. I'll be like, son, here's the problem with what you're doing. Dad, I know, I know, I know, I know. I was like, son, I need to talk. I know, dad, I know. I haven't said anything yet. It's impossible for you to say I know. And here's the irony, he's a 13-year-old boy. Okay, spoiler alert. Here's the irony. Most of the time you ask him, what are you doing? Why did you do that? What does he say? I don't know. (laughs) Here's the thing, there's an inner 13 year old boy in all of us, and God goes, here's what I want you to do. I know, I know, I know. You don't know. Here's what I want you to do. I got it. Then God comes to us, why were you doing that? I don't know. (laughs) Why do we need? the voice of Jesus, it calibrates us, it brings us back through his word, through the trusted voices in our lives, it brings us back to center. Here's the last thing. The last thing is, how do we respond to a powerful moment with God? We serve others, and this is so counterintuitive. I love this time of the year, I'm into, I'm into development, I'm into helping people grow, I'm into growing myself. I love resolutions, I love goals, I love all those things, I love challenges. I love all those things, but here's the problem. The thing about resolutions is, we talk about self-help and self-improvement and self-focus, and it's all so self-centered. Very little of it actually lasts. The difference between a resolution and a word from God, a resolution is better work hard, hope you have a lot of willpower, which is why most of them die before summer ever shows up. Word from God is not by your willpower or discipline. You're gonna have to make some changes. But those changes with my power is gonna cause you to become who you were always meant to be but could never produce in your own ability. And the thing about Jesus is he's so smart. He knows the best way for us to become that is to stop focusing on ourselves, to get our eyes off of us and to look at that crowd who has problems and challenges and needs help. See, it's so counterintuitive. But the amazing thing is, our world's starting to stumble on this truth. I was reading a book this week recently called Super Bosses. It's a New York Times bestseller written by a professor at Dartmouth. Here's what he said, here's what he found over his extensive research project. He found the most influential significant leaders are not just intelligent, they're not just geniuses, they're not just super talented or the hardest working The most exceptional, influential leaders all share this one common trait over every industry, whether it's real estate, finance, entertainment, athletics, whatever it is, they're all focused on how do I help somebody else get better in what they're doing. They give so many different examples. I was so inspired just listening to it. And this isn't even by the power of God, this is by just God's truth. These people have stumbled on to a truth of God. There's a woman in California, her name's Alice Waters. If you ever heard the expression farm to table, she's changed the way we all eat. If you've seen like Blue Apron, this idea that we shouldn't just make up meals that we like to, meet, to eat and just eat them all the time. She said whatever ingredients, whatever vegetables, whatever produce is in season, whatever's in season, you take that and you cook that and it's called farm to table and it's revolutionized the restaurant industry. And she didn't just stumble on this for herself, she said this is a whole different way to approach food. And she opened up her kitchen, she said, you don't have to have gone to a culinary school, you don't have to be a genius, if you wash dishes, if you care, if you're willing to learn and serve, there's a place for you here. And she's had something like 30 award-winning chefs and people found their own restaurants out of that one kitchen. A man named Bill Walsh, football coach back in the 80s. This term coaching tree. What does that mean? Well, he decided that the best way to build championship teams wasn't just to get great players, it was to get great coaches. So he found coaches and poured into them. And 30, almost 40 years later, twice as many successful coaches, twice as many Super Bowl champions, twice as many super significant coaches come from his tree. In fact, we know the idea of coaching tree because a man said it's not just my wins and losses, it's not just the team, I'm gonna create an environment where other people can be empowered to serve others. And here's what I would say. If the world can figure that out, how much more should the church be the model where people love and serve and help others? Not because we're perfect, but because we have access to a God who is. See, Jesus wants to come, not because you have it all figured out, not because your life is perfect, but because he wants to come and lead you and guide you into serving others. So we bring this thing to a close. What do we do now? Where are we going from this prepare moment? Well, here's where we're going as a church family. This is the pattern. Go up on the mountain, hear from God, serve others. We've come to another one of those moments. We're getting ready to go on a journey together. We're calling this journey beyond. And here's the idea, to go beyond where we've been to where God wants to bring us. To go beyond what's happening in your life to what God wants to do in the life of someone else. To beyond what your plan was, to the plan God wants to take you. And and here's what it's gonna be. It's gonna be a journey we're gonna go on together. All you have to do is be willing. We're gonna set aside this time, just like in that pattern. We're gonna set aside six weeks and we're gonna go on a journey together. Weekend services, daily devotional. But here's the place where I want you to really think about and focus in. How does what God's doing in you impact somebody else? If You've never been on one of these journeys with us. I wanna inspire you, I wanna motivate you to jump into a small group. That's how we go from being a big group to people who know your name, who know your situation, who are praying for you, who are agreeing with you. That's what small groups are for. It's not another meeting, it's not busy time. It's a way for you to love and serve the people that God has placed you with. So if you've never been in one, I know it can be intimidating, what I'm gonna say, is Bible trivia gonna break out? What if I'm embarrassed? Don't worry about that. We're gonna help you through all those things. Just say, I'm gonna take a step. Not because I understand it all, but I can sense Jesus asking me to take that step. If you've, if you've been in a small group, we're gonna ask you to lead one. We put all the materials in your hands. You don't have to be an expert in the Bible. All you have to do is be friendly and willing to serve and help somebody else. And if you've led a group before, we're gonna ask you to lead one again. I know you're busy. I know you got lots of things going on. But when God speaks to us, Our thought should be, how do I help someone else grow? And the amazing thing is God is so generous and so good. Every time we go to help someone else, he does above and beyond everything we could ask or expect in our own lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful. Lord, your presence and your peace and your goodness just moving in our community. It's moving in our spiritual family, God. You're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. This can be your moment. There's no greater mountaintop moment than the day you give your heart and life to Jesus. We don't give our heart and life to Jesus because we're all fixed and cleaned up. We don't give our heart and life in Jesus because <clears throat> we, we know all the theological answers that we need to know. All, all we do is we come to him with a heart that says, God, I wanna know you. I wanna love you. I want to receive from Jesus what I could never do on my own. I, I wanna be brought close to the presence of God. Just there in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I receive you. If you've already prayed that prayer, I wanna ask you, Where has God spoken to you? Where is he helping you? Where is he moving in your life? And how is he expressing that in the lives of other people? It always comes back to how we serve and love other people. Jesus, I'm praying as we go on this journey that you would be with us, that you'd go before us, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd lead us and guide us, that you'd expand our vision of who you are and what you wanna do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.